All right, what a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you, my friends, near and far. All of you who are joining us right now with Cornerstone Online. Some of you may be joining us for the very first time. And if you are, I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And I'm so thankful, happy that you're with us right now. Our series is called A Time to Choose. And today we want to explore this idea of choosing to unleash creativity and faith. We're going to look at this amazing exchange that occurred between some very creative people and Jesus. And we're going to learn from it. But let me go ahead and pray and ask God's blessing. Even now, Lord, I, I ask that you would come among us, that you would meet us, that you would be with us. We welcome you in, creator, loving God, Jesus, the savior of the world, God's only begotten son who is broken for us. I ask, Lord, that you would come and meet us where we need it. You know where we need our healing. Some of us need a healing touch. Some of us need an enlargement of our faith. Some of us need to be more creative about what you can and, and, and just in terms of our own willingness to find our way to you and to push past sometimes the limitations that are self-assigned or maybe we feel are surrounding us. Lord, you're the God who can do so much more than we can think or imagine. So we just ask for you to move in amazing ways. We ask for this blessing, even now as we share this time together, in Jesus' name, amen. Luke 5, verse 17. On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him, was with Jesus to heal. Now there's three things that I want us to notice immediately. One, he was teaching. So Jesus is sharing, opening up the scriptures, talking about himself, using illustrations that people could have related to, but also diving deep and looking at the scripture, the Old Testament scriptures in a way that did not simply present itself as an opinion, but as one who had authority. That is, Jesus spoke differently and he taught differently. And people were noticing and were told that they were coming from all places to hear and evaluate him because <laughs> there was a lot of discussion about this new teacher. And we're told here that the teaching was not only filled with people who were there, just we would call them common folk and those who were fascinated and enthralled and being blessed by Jesus's teaching. But there was a delegation of Pharisees and scribes. We would call them VIPs that had come from all over to give Jesus a look over. Right? They had converged to evaluate Jesus of Nazareth. They had heard he'd been saying some controversial things and some people were whispering that he might be the Messiah. This, of course, for those in authority, was potentially disturbing. They were certainly curious. They would be the ones who would evaluate Jesus. They had obviously pre-planned and coordinated their effort. They converged 
it appears at the same time. But we're told one more thing and I don't want us to miss it. It's something that deserves our attention as well. It says that the power of the Lord was with him to heal. The older version says the power of the Lord was present to heal. It's a fascinating statement. <laughs> we might go, well, wherever Jesus went, the power of the Lord was present to heal, right? Because he was Emmanuel. He was God with us. He was God's unique son come among us. So wherever he went, there was the power of the Lord. But this is indicating something different, that there are different times and occasions where God's healing power is more likely to be displayed than others. I don't know what we're supposed to do with that beyond just simply appreciate it. Not all time is the same time. Not all opportunities present the same opportunities. Not all situations provide the same opportunities for healing as other situations do. There's a lot of implications in that. There is a time when God may want us to respond. There is a time when God may want us to exercise faith. There is a time when his power is present to heal in ways that it may otherwise not be. And that's important for us to remember, especially when we sense God's presence. We need to be open to responding when the power of the Lord is present to heal. Look what it says in verse 18, though. It says that, behold, so we were given this one side of uh, the story that there are a group of people coming, powerful people, mixing with the crowds to evaluate Jesus. But now we're told of another group that's coming, a smaller group. Behold, we're told, some men were bringing on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. So their intention was to take their friend who was paralyzed, whose body wasn't working right. And they had all talked to one another and with him. And they made a decision that they were going to carry him to Jesus because he healed. And they believed he could heal their friend. People were talking about what Jesus was doing. Why not him? And I just love this picture because we can assume that these men cared for their friend. They cared for him. Maybe they were also um, part of his family, but it seems more likely that they were just friends who cared for one another and demonstrated that care as all true love will be demonstrated by their action. They, they, they were willing to, to do whatever it took to get their friend of Jesus. They were willing to serve his interests, even if it required a lot of effort. They were willing to lay aside their agendas and in a physically present way, carry him. And there are times, are there not, in a friendship when true caring will require us to carry our wounded or broken brother or sister or loved one to carry them in a way to Jesus. Sometimes maybe they're suffering from a physical malady and we want to see them healed. Sometimes, maybe even more often, is a spiritual issue or an emotional trauma or something that's relational that has been devastating, a loss. And sometimes people just feel too weak to get there on their own and and they need us to help them because maybe they 
they just are so broken, they're almost paralyzed. Sometimes it's because of guilt. Sometimes it might be because of shame. Sometimes it might just be because of a dark cloud of discouragement or a feeling of utter despair. Sometimes it's fear that paralyzes, just, just fear. Sometimes it has to do with a kind of crippling anxiety or a chronic relentless pain that has led to a kind of hopelessness. The point is, there will be times when we will need to bring someone to Jesus because they're not doing well and they're all bound up and hurting and they can't move. Sometimes they are us, right? Sometimes it's we who need others to bring us to Jesus because we might be having to deal with things that are making it hard to move forward in life. I mean, think about that. I think about the physical idea of paralysis. You can't move. And we're not told how much of his body was paralyzed, but enough to where he couldn't get himself to Jesus. And we find ourselves in these places where we just feel stuck. We feel bound up. We feel crippled. We feel paralyzed by whatever it is we're having to work through. And again, some of us right now, maybe that's where we are in such places. If things are going to get better, it's usually because someone who loves us, a believing someone who loves us, a spouse, a son, a daughter, a friend, a family member, two or three of them, a group of people, a small group, they're willing to carry us in a way to Jesus. They're willing to help us when we feel a lack of power to even help ourselves turn to him, to get to him. It's just, you know, it's just a beautiful, This what we're about to look at is just a beautiful illustration of what true friends do. And, and I remember Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Born to help in time of need. They show up. That's what friends do. And there's no better way to show up than spiritually to be present. A friend Seracides wrote, uh, cannot be known in prosperity and an enemy cannot be hidden in adversity. Wow, that, that's pretty shrewd language. A friend cannot be known truly in prosperity and an enemy cannot be hidden in adversity. They will always emerge. Perhaps <laughs> some of us can recall in special seasons well, maybe I should say specific seasons of our lives when we have needed help, when we have been weak, when we have not been strong, when we have been hurting, when we have been paralyzed in a way where some key people showed up. I mean, they just showed up big time for us. And they were used by the Lord to carry us in our time of need. I mean, that, what a gift. What a gift. May, may we even bless them in this moment. We be thankful unto the Lord for those who at certain times in our lives have, have really carried us because we weren't strong enough on our own and they've carried us to Jesus. It's been said also that misfortune is the touchstone of love and a true friend's love is especially seen in adversity. Misfortune is the touchstone of love and a true friend's love is especially seen in adversity. 
In the case of the paralytic that was brought to Jesus, this was a team of friends. And they were determined to get him to Jesus, come what may. Let's look at this. Let's watch what happens. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's it's so creative. And it has so much faith in it. Let's look at verse 18. It says, Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, as I mentioned. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And they had carried him. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the mist before Jesus. You know, Jesus had evidently been teaching in a house, we may assume. Try to get it into our mind's eye. Jesus is under a covering of a roof. But perhaps that that room opens up into a large courtyard. There are people everywhere. They've gathered. The crowd is thick and varied. It's already been described earlier as having a lot of very important, powerful teachers who have come from different regions, some from the Galilee, some from Judea, some from Jerusalem. They've mixed in with the more common people who have been just loving Jesus's teachings. There are seekers. There are those who want healing. There are those who just want to learn. And uh, there are those who are checking him out, evaluating him. Some who are even trying to catch him if he oversteps himself. But the crowd, we're told, by the time they arrived with their friend who they had carried, was, I mean, thick. It, it, it was bursting. And it seemed like by the time they got there, and it probably had taken them longer because they had to carry him on the bed, on the stretcher. And by the time they got there, there, there was no room. They, everything was, every, everybody had spots that were taken. There was nowhere to go. Have you ever gone to an event? I know I have where got there a little late and it was free. Seating was whoever, it was first come, first serve. And there were no spots because got there a little behind schedule. Everybody had gotten there earlier and, and taken it. And there's their, their place. And, and I, I imagine that's what was happening here. The, there was no room. They get there and they go, oh my goodness, can you, how many people are here? Right? One of them says, <laughs> the realist, we're too late. Ah, uh, can you believe this crowd? Can you believe it? We're, we're, we're now, there's no way, there's no way we're going to be able to get to, to get him to the healer. Another one, I'll call him, uh, he may not be the realist. He's the negative one. <laughs> he says, see, I told you. I told you. We should have left earlier. What were you guys thinking? Oh, this is, this is bad. Right? And I can imagine that as well. <laughs> but at least one of them, he had the gift of tenacity and creativity. And he's assessing the situation. He sees the crowds and he can see that there's no way they're going to be able to get him, get him in. People are just going to be too upset. What are you doing? No, you, we got here first, right? There was no way. We weren't going to be able to get him to Jesus. So what is he going to do? He determines not to take no for an answer. We're going to find a way. <laughs> I have a son like this. And he, oh my goodness, he can be, when he's locked in, he's so relentless. It's like, even honestly, he, sometimes he's so relentless that it's annoying, <laughs> but I admire the trait. And some of you say, well, which son is that? I know you have two sons. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell you which one it is. I'm just gonna say it's not the older one. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> but the idea came to the one who was creative and relentless and determined. And he was looking and assessing 
He saw Jesus there in the room, in the roof over him. And he said, I know what we're going to do. I know what we're going to do. You don't worry, he tells his sick friend. We are going to get you to Jesus. I know what we're going to do. We, we're going to, you see, we're going to carry him. We're going to carry him up the roof to the top. And they're going, yeah, but then what we're going to do is we're going to tear it open. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to rip a hole in it. And then we will, we'll get some ropes. We're going to get some ropes and we're going to tie them the, to the corners. And we're just going to, all of us, we're just going to lower him down through the hole that we rip open. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? What? Are you serious? Yes, I am serious. We are going to do it. We didn't come this far to not get him to Jesus. We're getting you to Jesus. And we're going to do whatever we have to do. To, and this is just a reminder. that Love finds a way, doesn't it? Because why? Love is devoted. Whew, love doesn't give up. It doesn't quit. It, it doesn't mean there isn't a time to accept things. I get that. I do. There are some times where we just need to accept things and adjust and adapt. We do. There is such a thing as a bridge too far. And I don't think it's lacking in faith to say, to say that there are times where we need to come up with a different approach. And again, it, we need to admit this as well. And, they, and I'm sure that, I don't even know if they talk, how much they talked about it. I'm assuming some of them were whispering it. This, what are you, are you serious? Did we, there's no, look, they, one, even if we can get them up there too, even if we can t tear the hole open through the roof, like you're saying, and we lower him down. I mean, th 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 what, what, you think the teacher is just going to go, going to say, Oh, wonderful. I mean, there's no, guarantee he's not just going to say, what are you doing? Get out of here, right? Because it, it's going to interrupt, interrupt everything. But they were desperate. And in their desperation for their brother, we didn't bring him this far to not get him to Jesus. They chose to risk it. They chose to risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> yes, they did. And they exercised a disruptive, daring faith, a daring, disruptive faith. That's what we're going to call it. And it must have been quite a moment. I, <laughs> Jesus is teaching. The people are listening to his words. If we can know, and just based on how we have the record of Jesus teaching and his style, we can imagine he's weaving in and out things that are both joyful, but also serious. He's unpacking the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures in a way that is suggestive that God is moving among them. He's teaching them in ways that are different. They're laughing, they're crying, they're mesmerized, everybody. His critics are toggling between a grudging admiration and a deep suspicion of the danger and the, the of the danger that he presents to them and their authority, all of these things are happening while Jesus is teaching. Somewhere in this moment, in this time, 
there is a noise at first and a little bit of dust that's falling. Maybe even some that was falling because it seemed as if there was somebody on top of them on the roof, but then it became an unmistakable thing because there, there was an avalanche of, of clay and straw and, and maybe tiles and dirt and, I mean, mud, every, just stuff falling from the ceiling. Maybe not right on top of Jesus, but not far from him. And people are moving and scattering and dust is filling the, the room. And, and all of a sudden, as people are trying to figure out what's going on, there's this, this man, this bed actually is all you can see really with a man on it being lowered down by some ropes. And there's these guys who, if you look through the sun and the, and the, you can see the, the silhouettes of them, they're lowering this man on a, on a bed down to the dirt below in front of Jesus. And it's quite the scene. No one can, no one, it's like everybody's got off guard. The room's filled with dust. There's this lowered body of a man sick and paralyzed. No doubt that he was sick, couldn't move much. Maybe groaning as he's being jostled down. Verse 20 though, look what it says. Can't be missed. Fantastic verse. And when he saw their faith, I love this verse. And when he saw their faith, he said to the man, think about that. Your sins are forgiven you. Now he looks at the man who's paralyzed and says, your sins are forgiven you. But he saw their faith. That's <laughs> what a combo. Not when he saw the man's faith, although I think he could be included in this. But he he's alluding to a collective faith on the part of these friends that caught our Lord's attention. That, that should not be minimized. It was their faith. Their faith was evidenced by their actions. And again, it was daring. It was tenacious. It was ingenious, really, if you get down to it, to go to such lengths on behalf of their friend. We're never going to be able to get him to Jesus in a normal way. So we're going to find a way. We're going to tear a, a hole open through the roof. <laughs> First, to carry him there was hard work. Then to lift him up and to carry him on the top of the roof was hard work. And then to tear open a roof was hard work. And then to lower him down was hard work. I mean, we're talking about a lot of effort, bold, daring. I mean, it just, it just stands out. It's awesome. <laughs> and I, I don't know how the owner felt. <laughs> like, I can imagine him going, what are they doing to my roof? Right? But we know Jesus was impressed. Jesus was impressed. And Jesus is going to be moving at a, a multifaceted level. I mean, this is, we're talking about three level chess here. He says, man, so you can move in a lot of directions. First thing he says is, man, your sins are forgiven you. Perhaps, as many have speculated, the man's malady was connected to his morality that his disease may have been 
actually something that he had acquired sexually or in some other way. And so there was a connection between the, the, the sin and its effect on the body. We don't know that for sure, but it's not inconceivable because of what Jesus says. But what cannot be mistaken is, again, that I mentioned that Jesus is doing a couple of things at once. One, he's responding to the faith that he saw. So there's, there's a response to the faith that he sees. He calls it their faith. But, and then there's the literal healing of the, of the man on the bed at a spiritual and, and we're going to see physical level. <laughs> so this is, that's another part of this, the compassion he has and love that he has and the touch that he has for this man. And then there's a third part, which has to do with the, the scribes and the Pharisees, his critics, those who had come, not because they believed as much as because they were curious some and others because they didn't believe and they wanted to catch him. Or at least they were critical. They approached with a critical eye. They came waiting to be offended. Remember, whenever we come prepared to be offended, it would be uncommon that we're not. That's the thing. That's the way that blessed are the unoffended, Jesus said. The unoffended of me. Hmm. Look what he says in verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees, we're told, began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? So there's this whisper that breaks out. They're having these conversations on the side. All of them are processing what's happening. And what they're caught up in, not is so much the creativity of those who needed to get the, their friend to Jesus or the man that Jesus has just spoken to. It's the words that he said that caught their attention. You can't tell people your sins are forgiven you. You don't have that authority. He doesn't have that authority. Only God has that authority. What is going on here? Can you believe this? The audacity of the man. I don't care what kind of a teacher he is. The unparalleled presumption that this man, well, he, he is making it, he oversteps himself. Verse 21, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he read the room. He saw what was happening. He answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Why do you question in your hearts? What is easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven you. Or to say, rise up and walk. Now, technically, it takes the same amount of energy to say either one of those things, right? I mean, it's easy. That, but that's not what Jesus was getting at. What he was really saying was it would be much easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because if they were not there would be no outward evidence of it. It's just, it's just words. But if someone says, rise up and walk, and it does or does not happen, that tells you a lot about who they are or aren't. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> but that you may know Verse 24, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Yes, he does. He's turned and he said to the man who was paralyzed, the man who I believe he was going to heal anyway, because he had already told him, your sins are forgiven you. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. 
And immediately he rose up. Now, now, Jesus basically, you got to understand this. Jesus made his power to heal a test of his power to forgive. Don't miss that. He made his power to heal a test of his power to forgive. We are, we already know again from that earlier verse, that 20th verse, that it, it appears that he was going to heal him. He, but he wanted to first heal him spiritually. And we're told immediately the man rose up and before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. I love that picture in so many ways. The man who had no strength or limited strength, the incapacity to even lift himself up, the, he had to be carried and lowered into the very presence of Jesus now on the basis of the words of Christ the healing power communicated by Jesus in this moment, shooting just energy and life force into his body, there comes a renewed strength and a release of whatever it is that was keeping him bound up and sick. And the Lord, the master surgeon, works it by the words of his mouth, rearranging the DNA of the body or the cells of his body, however we want to describe it, restoring the flow of blood into his muscles and tendons and allowing for him to, to literally rise up and carry the very thing he came in carried on. And the man started praising God and glorifying him. And everybody, we're told here, was just, I mean, he's, he's yelling, God is good. And then everybody, we're told, amazement seized them all. Verse 26, and they glorified God. And they were filled with, oh, God has done amazing. We have, we have seen extraordinary things today. Can you believe this? Right? That's what's going on here. And indeed we have. Have we not? Those of us who've experienced his touch, his healing touch in so many ways in our lives. Listen to me, loved one. Someday we will leave this world and go to a place that Jesus has prepared and we will see even more extraordinary things. And how can I say this? And we will glorify God in ways we would have never thought imaginable. We are going to see more extraordinary things. And we are going to glorify God in ways that we never even thought imaginable. But between now and then, we need to remember that part of what makes our journey sacred and sweet and beautiful however long we are given on this side. It's the special people that God has given us as friends, brothers and sisters. This may include our family members. It may include people we've only known, honestly, for a little while, and some that we've known for a long while, friends new and old. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we share the journey together. We're making the journey together. We're training together. We're seeking to follow God together. We're doing our best together. <laughs> you know, if we're, if we're fortunate and we have a few people who are willing to carry us, when, when needed, how can I say it? We're so blessed. We're truly blessed. Ah, oh, Lord, I thank you for the people you placed into our lives who have loved us over the years, who've carried us to you. Sometimes when we have felt little or no power, crippled by sin and choices of our own making, hurting, wounded, broken, in need of a healing touch, and yet seemingly powerless to get there on our own, get to you on our own, so defeated. And yet we've had people walk with us, pray with us, 
be with us, encourage us, ultimately bringing us to you and allowing us to find strength in you. Oh, Lord, how grateful we are. Even now we speak their names on our lips, in our minds. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for each one through the years and even now and what will yet be in Jesus' name. I have one more thing to share after we have a, a song that we, we just enjoy together, a point of worship in a way. I'll come back and close this out. So here we go. Yeah. 
how good is that? How good is the Lord? You know, I have one last thought to share with you. And when it comes to friends and brothers and sisters, I think it's good for us to, to determine that we are going to be the friend we want to have. We are going to be the brother and the sister we want to have. Help us, Lord, to love like that. Help us, Lord, to commit ourselves to helping others follow you better. Help us be there when our brother or sister is stumbling or feels weak and weary. Help us, help us to help share the load and get them to you. Lord, you're so good. We love you so much. And my prayer for all of you, my friends, is that he would keep you in every way, in your spirit, in your soul, in your mind, yeah, and in your body. In Jesus' name.